This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. My name is David Holloway. I'm the director of the Institute for International Studies. And be, on behalf of the Institute, uh, and also on behalf of the Hoover Institution, which is co-sponsoring this lecture, uh, I would like to welcome you all here uh, this afternoon. The subject of the lecture, Russia in the 21st century, uh, could hardly be more topical. Uh, where is Russia going is a question that has preoccupied Russian thinkers for centuries, but it has a particular relevance today in the wake of the financial crisis that shook Russia in August of last year and seemed to mark an end of at least one phase of post-communist uh, reform. Uh, the question of Russian, Russia's future is further sharpened by the current political crisis and by the looming prospect of parliamentary elections in December of this year and a presidential election in the summer of next year. And to address this question, we have a speaker who has been centrally involved in the politics and the policies of the effort to redirect the course of Russian history. Anatoly Borisovich Chubais graduated from the Tolyati Institute of Economics and Engineering in Leningrad in 1977. After working as an engineer for five years, he lectured at that institute in the 1980s. Uh, in 1987, he helped to establish the Perestroika Club to promote democratic ideas. In 1990, he was appointed to the executive committee of the Leningrad City Council, where he served as the mayor's chief advisor on economic policy. And then, in November of 1991, after the failed uh, attempted uh, putsch in August, uh, Yegor Gaidar chose Anatoly Chubais to head the Committee on State Property Management of the Russian Federation, and in that position he worked out a program for privatization of state property and directed the implementation of that program. He remained a member of the government even after Gaidar was replaced as Prime Minister by uh, Viktor Chernomyrdin, and he became first deputy prime minister in 1994 with responsibility for economic and financial policy. In 1996, uh, Anatoly Chubais applied his formidable organizational skills to Boris Yeltsin's election campaign, playing a key role in the success of that campaign. He rejoined the government after the election serving first as the head of the presidential administration and then as first deputy minister, deputy prime minister and minister of finance. He was dismissed from government in March 1998 
along with the whole Chernobyl Moydan government. And since then, he's been chairman of the board of the Unified Energy System of Russia company. So Anatoly Chubais has been a leader in the effort to move Russia to the market and to democracy uh, as an architect of economic reform, as negotiator with the international financial institutions, as a political manager. He has been a central figure in the political battles that have surrounded reform and thus is ideally placed, I think, to address the vitally important question of Russia's future. Uh, Anatoly Borisovich, we are delighted to have you here at Stanford. Thank you very much. Thank you for opportunity to be here with you today. Uh, I'm really honored to be here, and uh, uh, I think that it's not only the task to discuss what will be the Russia in the 21st century. I'm not sure that I myself will be able to answer the, question, the questions in this, in this uh, uh, wide topic, but uh, I think that if we try to understand the future, uh, first of all, let's try to understand the past and the present. Uh, I think that now may be one of the uh, reasonable moments for understanding what is going on. It's always something happening in the Russian, uh, on the Russian political scene. It's uh, always something new, and definitely Russia's politics is never boring. Uh, but now we, as usually, have something new, as you know, Last Saturday, uh, there was the failed impeachment uh, attempt uh, this Wednesday, uh, which means in just in uh, six hours, I do hope that a Russian parliament will approve uh, a new Russian prime minister, Sergei Stepashin. So something happened now, and uh, I think that it's time to understand what are the background of the uh, uh, events I mentioned. Uh, ten years ago, 1898, there was the first free election uh, at that time in the Soviet Union. Ten, ten years of the economic and political reform in Russia behind. If we shall try to pick up from the newspapers, from the TV, what is uh, the main uh, definitions we could hear now about the current Russian situation, about the current Russian problem. I think that, uh, first of all, we shall, we shall say that, we shall see that it's uh, uh, bribes, corruption, uh, political uncertainty, uh, low standards of living, uh, unstable political situation. Uh, and we could add a list of the negative, uh, negative definitions, which is uh, almost daily printed in uh, both Russian and American newspapers. And I couldn't say that it's false. Unfortunately, most of these uh, negative features is true. They really took place in Russia. But at the same time, uh, I'm sure that we have to have, we have to see the whole picture. Uh, so at the same time, uh, what is also the true is that what we have now in Russia is 
the Russian Constitution, is the private property, is the freedom and the freedom of speech, is the dividing of power. Uh, and uh, I do believe that all this positive side of the story is, wait something, is uh, also quite important, but uh, unfortunately uh, forgotten in our daily discussion within the Russian turbulent political scene. I could, uh, I could frankly say that if, if, uh, if we had this discussion in uh, 1989 uh, and you would ask me would it be feasible to uh, achieve this result in Russia after the 75 years of the communist regime, after the 75 years, after the three generations where the private property was crime and should be immediately even investigated by the criminal court and the person who want to have some business should be immediately put into the prison. After the three generations, this style of standards, uh, something is achieved. But at the same time, I must admit that we made a serious mistakes, uh, both on economic and political side. And uh, I think that one of the most important lessons we uh, must withdraw from the Russian experience that we really hoped that transition in Russia will take three years, five years, maybe seven years. But what we can see now is that it's clear that transition from the communist regime to the freedom society will take generation. The fight is not over, and it will not over next week or next month. That's the lesson we should understand from what has happened in Russia this time. I think that uh, maybe analyzing this 10 years of Russian history, uh, the last 10 months is most interesting and in some sense most important. Uh, I do believe that this, this last 10 months of the uh, Primakov government uh, demonstrate the unique experiment with the unique result which is not uh, analyzed yet, yet by the Russian politicians and not just Russian uh, analysts, and which we should try to analyze. These 10 months uh, started from the extremely dramatic August last year, one of the most uh, complicated and uh, painful crises in the Russian economic history of last year, uh, the August when uh, the ruble devaluation was, ruble devaluation was almost twice, well, uh, the Russian government was uh, uh, fired and the new government uh, was appointed and the new government which represented the communists. As you probably know, the first deputy prime minister in the Russian government was Mr. Maslukov, who represented the Communist Party, who was the last chairman of the Gosplan, of the State Planning Committee of the Soviet Union. Uh, the chairman of the Central Bank is Mr. Gerashenko, who was the last chairman of the Soviet Central Bank in 1990. So that was the communist team. And let me just remind you uh, what was the starting, starting point.
appoint what was discussed in August, September last year when this government was appointed. Uh, the main topic of discussion was uh, will government, this new appoint, newly appointed government, will government uh, immediately nationalize private property? Will government immediately introduce uh, state control prices? Will government immediately, together with central bank, start to print money for uh, for supporting the real sector, like communists like to say in, in the public speeches? That was the main topics. And that was not just topics and not just discussion. That was something which was in the minds of the, at least some of the leaders of the government. And uh, there was a several draft of the governmental programs which was discussed in August, September, and then some of these drafts, this kind of ideas was included in the main part of these programs. But now, 10 times is, the 10, 10 months is the past, and uh, what we could see, we could see that none of these stupid communist ideas was implemented. None of these crazy steps were made by the Russian government. None of the steps was made by the Russian government which consists from the communists. None of this communist idea was implemented by the communist government. That is something. That is, to my mind, one of the most important results, not just of the last 10 months, but of the last 10 years. That was the unique experiment when uh, we, for the first time in the last eight years, give the power to the communists, at least economic power. And we actually say to the communists, look, guys, you told about the nationalization, about the state control. What shall you do? if you will be responsible not only for words, but for results. What we could see now? Nothing made. What does it mean? I think that it means one key definition of the current situation, situation in Russia, key definition which is demonstrate what is going on in spite of all the mistakes and all the problems and uh, uh, in legal uh, site or in the everyday people's life, uh, what are the key definition? I think that that's irreversibility. Irreversibility of the reform process which was started in 1990, which was started 10 years ago. I do believe that uh, the communists failed to implement the communist idea in the last government that the greatest success of the Russian reformers since 1990. There is one important feature in Russia uh, which is uh, different from the transition countries in Eastern, Eastern Europe and uh, let's say Poland or Czech Republic or um, the Baltic states. In all of these uh, transition countries for this last nine years or ten years there was several shift from the right to the left. We had a number of examples of this kind of shifts and we had, uh, I don't know, let's say in, in Poland, uh, Mr. Leszek Balcerowicz, who was Polish Prime Minister in 1991, uh, starting the economic reform and Polish shock therapy, then he was dismissed. Uh, and now, in Poland, we have the post-communist president Alexander Kwasniewski and Leszek Balcerowicz, who is Deputy Prime Minister responsible for the macroeconomic situation in the country. So after the several shift to the right and left, finally, uh, they 
able to operate together. And it means stability in the country. We in Russia uh, never had this experience till the last 10 months started. We in Russia, for the whole eight years, had the whole responsibility on the shoulders of the reformers, uh, the whole responsibility on the shoulders of Igor Gaidar and myself. If you, will, if you will follow what was the main slogans of the communist uh, on the demonstration of the uh, 1st of May this year, the, one slogans, the main slogans was uh, appeal to President Yeltsin to fire it, or better, to put to the prison Gaidar and Chubais. Gaidar was not in the government for seven years. I'm sorry, for six years. But still they uh, love them and myself very much. Uh, it means that uh, sooner or later they need to be responsible for what's going on. And it was made in August after this dramatic, dramatic August uh, coup. So that is the, that is the first uh, resume I would like to uh, defend and uh, to argue. Uh, I do believe that uh, this last 10 months in political terms, uh, in economic terms, was the unique experiment which demonstrates, despite all the problems and all the mistakes, which demonstrates that what was done in Russia is serious. What was done in Russia is could not be reversed. What was done in Russia, it's not for weeks or for years. That's forever. That's forever because there is no political force in Russia who really able to get country back. What are communists dreaming about now? What are they speaking about now? What are they trying to do now? Nationalization? No, it's impossible. They only try to renationalize some private companies, uh, but not all of them. Uh, are they, uh, they dreaming about nationalization, but they could not implement it? They dreaming about censorship, but they are not able to implement it. They only discuss the idea of some kind of the public councils on TV and on newspaper, which will, uh, which will uh, control some moral standards. That's how they call it. Uh, but that's also, uh, it's also only the part of the, uh, of the communist ideology that they're really able to implement. So I think that uh, this last 10 months demonstrate these extremely important uh, lessons uh, if analyze the economic and political side of the story. At the same time, I know that there was a lot of criticism uh, against uh, Yeltsin's decision uh, to dismiss the government. I know that uh, both in Russia and here in the West, it was a lot of uh, analysts who said that there was no reason for firing the government, and uh, it's very strange, it's always unpredictable. Yeltsin made this strange decision. Uh, what was the reason? Nobody knows. Uh, the political situation was very stable. Uh, there was no economic catastrophe. Uh, so why he did it, it's absolutely, absolutely unreasonable. I can't agree with it. I can't agree with it because my understanding that uh, the uh, basic reason for Yeltsin's decision was fundamental difference in uh, the attitude toward communism between Yeltsin and Primakov. That is uh, something uh, very deep and very important, uh, and that is the basic difference in Yeltsin and government's understanding of what is what what should be done. Uh, I think that uh, the uh, specific governmental political role, which really lead to the 
type of the uh, political stability was based on the step-by-step -step improving uh, the communist role uh, in the major Russian political institution. Uh, the communists improved, increased their position uh, in State Duma, in the government, in the upper chamber of the Russian parliament, in the Federation Council. And if Yeltsin would not make this decision now, I don't think he will be able to make this decision ever. And I do believe that on the next presidential election, we would really have to choose between two candidates, one of them almost communist, another is communist. And I do believe that now, after this decision was made, we maybe for the first time in the last two or three years, finally could achieve the real presidential strategy. I mean the strategy for the presidential election, the year 2000. Uh, there is no doubt that the uh, presidential election will happen in time. Uh, there is no doubt that the parliamentary election in Russia will happen in time in December. Uh, just one, uh, one thing is unclear is that if, uh, if uh, tomorrow's departure will be approved, it means that it's okay and parliamentary election will happen in December. If uh, departure will not be approved, if he will again will be submitted to the parliament and again will not be approved for three times, after it, Yeltsin has legal right to dismiss the parliament and to appoint the early election. But this topic I know discussed here in the West, uh, but it's not discussed in Russia. It's absolutely clear that the parliamentary election will happen in Russia and presidential election will happen in Russia, which is also one of the fundamental results demonstrating the uh, changes in the uh, political values and political standards in Russia. So uh, to, finalize, uh, to finalize this analysis, what, could, what, what we could really see? We could really see that uh, uh, this 10 years experience of the transition in Russia become maybe one of the most dramatic, complicated, and painful comparing with the uh, Eastern European countries or the Baltic states. Uh, we could see that this 10 years transition time in Russia bring a lot of uh, serious mistake which was made by ourselves but at the same time we must see that what is achieved is the real irreversibility in the dramatic and complicated transition transition period uh, i do believe that this is that is the analysis of the past that is the analysis of the past 10 years and 10 months which brings us uh, some understanding of the possible future uh, I don't believe that communists could win on the Russian presidential election in the Yoto South. I don't believe that Zyuganov have any chances to become Russian president in the 21st century. But I do understand that the Russian transition is not finished. I do understand that we shall need a lot of additional extremely complicated and painful, painful economic and political decision, which sooner or later will be made by the uh, new Russian government, by the new Russian parliament, uh, by the new Russian president, uh, which will happen in the 21st century. So that is the analysis which may be not, not, uh, not very, uh, not too optimistic, but that's the uh, analysis which uh, I myself could share with you. And uh, uh, I'm not sure that, uh, that uh, I'm able to convince everybody, but at least I'm sure that what I said is that what I really think about the Russian situation. So, 
Thank you very much for your attention. I'll try to answer your question. Well, I think that's it's a very serious question, and uh, uh, I have to agree with you that in 1996, when uh, I became the chief of the presidential staff, one of my goal was to strengthen the legal system to uh, give some additional power to the courts in Russia, to uh, increase, uh, to enforce the law enforcement system, which is still very weak. Uh, we try to. I, I try to do. I try to do it. Uh, but unfortunately, I should say that I could not give you some wonderful examples of the positive change in this in this stage, in this in this uh, in this direction. Uh, I think that uh, what is much more important for bringing Russian regions together, what is much more important for uh, designing the common language and the common understanding and the kind of unity for the Russian regions. Uh, was not on the economic, was not on the political side and the legal side, but but on the economic side. Uh, I do remember, like in 1992 and 1993, one of the major problems in our relation with the Russian regions was that, that they introduced their own decision. Uh, for example, the decision for, introdu for introducing customs in the regions, the decision which is uh, forbid to export some kind of uh, good produced in this region into another region. Uh, that's kind of the uh, special internal economic policy was uh, widespread in Russia in 1992-1993. Uh, the basic reason was extremely weak Russian currency, uh, the 20% monthly inflation, and uh, uh, very high, uh, the unstable macroeconomic situation. And now in 1999 and 1997, in 1998, uh, I don't think that this type of problem is still important. I do believe, and I know that a number of local governors now try not to forbid for uh, companies on their region to export production, but just to support them. They do understand that they need external market for their production. They do understand that if they want to be strong, they need to compete with their production in other regions instead of trying to 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 uh, for, to forbid to export products. So I think that the economic background, which is already designed in Russia, is one of the most strongest, strong, strongest example of the uh, strongest vehicle which is uh, bring together the regions in Russia. That's why I don't believe in the forecast that uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a scenario which will happen in the nearest months and that Russia will split it into a number of regions. I don't believe it at all. I, I think that this type of danger is already passed in Russia. Uh, I, I think that uh, this type of danger is already avoided.
But uh, in the legal system, I think that uh, we really need uh, strong steps. Uh, but the problem that Russian legal system and the relation, <clears throat> the legal relation and the law enforcement in Russia is influenced by the political situation. Uh, the problem that unfortunately the <clears throat> Russian, uh, uh, Russian prosecutor uh, institutions, the Russian, uh, uh, Russian uh, power ministries, like we call it, uh, traditionally influenced by the communists much more than by anybody else. We could see it now in the current scandal around the <coughs> general prosecutor. Uh, and uh, the problem that any step, any step to, we not just need to strengthen this institution, but what we need is the change of generation in this institution. Uh, we need new uh, people in this institution, new training procedure, we need uh, education. Uh, so I, uh, just to come back from what I'm start with, uh, that we do understand again that the transition is not yours, that generation. Uh, Mr. Chubais, how do you explain the fact that uh, the liberal forces in Russia seem to be, thus far at least, unable to uh, bolster significant uh, political support among the masses? And uh, in this context, uh, how and who do you think would be able to implement the obviously necessary further economic reforms in the country? Thank you. Well, uh, that's true that uh, the whole nine or ten years of the Russian reform, we had the strong presidential power and the executive power, which, is, which was and which is reform-oriented. But the whole ten years, we had uh, communists in the legislative power. Uh, and uh, uh, that was both on the federal level and on the local level. We had uh, Verkhovny Soviet, Supreme Council, we had uh, three Dumas, and each of this Duma was dominated by the left, was dominated by the communists. Uh, that's true that uh, the support for economic, public support for economic reform in Russia is still, uh, is still not enough for making the strong steps which could not just speed up reform process, but to diminish the uh, dramatic, painful uh, consequences of this process. That is the truth. What are the reasons? Uh, there is no just one single answer which will, which will give the magic decision. But at the same, there, at the same time, there are some uh, extremely important uh, um, uh, background behind this process one should understand in his analysis. I think that, uh, uh, first of all, uh, we are uh, invisibly, in Latin form, trying to compare Russia with, uh, uh, with the European countries. Russia with the Eastern European countries, with uh, Poland, Czech, Slovak Republic, or uh, others, uh, in trying to make the judgment if it is more support for reform or it is less support for reform. Uh, I would just say that what we need to compare with is not only the uh, Poland or uh, Czech Republic, but let's compare with Ukraine, let's compare with Belarus. Uh, what we shall see? We shall see that uh, comparing with the Eastern European countries, there are absolutely fundamental differences in the history. Uh, in Eastern European countries, they have communists for 40 years. In Russia, we had it for 75 years. Uh, 
in Eastern European countries, they had foreigners, they had communists who was who came from the Soviet Union, who was uh, who was something external, came into the country and trying to control the country. In Russia, it wasn't external; it was our own native communists. Uh, that's absolutely another background, which is definitely brings another result. If you will compare Russia with Belarusia, uh, I think you will agree that the Belarusian situation is much more, much better than Russia. Uh, in Russia, we have the strong reform-oriented forces movement represented in the parliament. We have uh, the government consisted from the reform-oriented guys. What do you say about Belarusia? Uh, do you know that uh, they still uh, put to the prison uh, the Mr. Ganchar, who is one of the leaders of the opposition to Mr. Lukashenko, and there is no legal opposition to Lukashenko at all. Uh, in in Belarus, communists and Lukashenko control everything, uh, but Belarus and Russia have much, much more common background than Russia and, let's say, Poland. Uh, that's the fundamental historical reasons one should understand analyzing this issue. But there are some very specific issues which which also important. Uh, one of them I will I will remind you. Uh, we have very very interesting uh, specific uh, 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 process in Russia on the election. Uh, the uh, low wages, low educated, uh, poor people in Russia are much more active in the election process than anywhere in the world. And they're not just much more active. They traditionally uh, oriented to support communists. If you, in the day of the Russian election, if you will go to the, to the, uh, to the uh, office where the election is going on, uh, the election usually starts, let's say, at 8 a.m. If you will go at 5 a.m., you will see the queue of the old ladies uh, who are waiting their turn to vote for communists. Uh, it's still now well, it's the same, absolutely the same style. They did it uh, 50 years ago, they did it 40 years ago, they do now the same. Uh, will you ask him, do they like to buy? Do you know what will be the answer? <laughs> I don't know enough uh, English for, for saying what, <laughs> what, you will, what you will hear in this case. So that's, that's the specific feature of the Russian situation. But at the same time, take it in seriously, I could say that uh, we now uh, try to change our uh, strategy for the parliamentary election. We are uh, not just by party, but we are designing the new liberal coalition, right course, which is united at least six parties, which before uh, went run the election separately. Uh, I don't think that it's very easy task for us to overcome 5% barrier, but we will fight for it. And I could say that the parties which is now united by the right course movement on the last election uh, together get 7%. It means that there is a real chance now within all the difficulties we have in Russia, nevertheless, to create the real reformary and that liberal reform, liberal fraction in, in the Russian Duma. Uh, thank you. Uh, first of all, let me thank you, Anatoly Borisovich, for your excellent presentation. And uh, actually, I think that uh, your conclusions, if one uh, looks at the spectrum of analysis and predictions on the future of Russia, is quite a bit on the optimistic side. It's analysis with which I am quite sympathetic, and I certainly hope you're right. My question has to do with 
a, uh, a problem which has uh, been very difficult for Russia during the transition process, and that is corruption of uh, individuals and, uh, and uh, government institutions. And in fact, one of, as you probably know, I'm sure, one of the uh, rationales that has been speculated uh, for the, uh, the timing of the uh, removal of the Primakov government uh, has been the ongoing uh, corruption investigations into high levels of the Yeltsin administration and indeed even into the Yeltsin family itself. Um, I'm wondering whether you think that uh, uh, this explanation uh, is true at all. Uh, and in particular, it's also been, a, been speculated that Mr. Berezovsky uh, has played a strong hand uh, in advising this uh, most recent dismissal of the Russian government. Who is Berezovsky? <laughs> <laughs> David can explain. <laughs> uh, secondly, um, do you think that uh, if Mr. Stepashin is uh, uh, approved by the, uh, the Duma, as it does now appear that he will be, uh, how effective do you think he'll be in fighting corruption? Thanks. Well, I think that the corruption, as I mentioned from the very beginning of my short speech, is uh, one of the real problems in Russia, which is not new. And uh, unfortunately, I could not address this problem even only to the, our communist predecessors, uh, because if you will read the classic Russian literature from the 19th century, you will find a lot of examples of the traditional Russian corruptions on the several, several levels. That is true, and that is true now, and that is a problem which is undermining the credibility of the, uh, uh, of the efforts of the new political forces in Russia. But what is also the truth, that that is one of the uh, best uh, resource for any kind of political attack which could be implemented. First slogan which is used is corruption. Uh, that is the story you asked about. Uh, the, uh, uh, the problems and the rumors about the uh, Yeltsin family involvement into any kind of corrupt or, I don't know, let's say incorrect decisions in financial, in financial affairs. When did, you, when did you hear about it? You heard about it after, after Mr. Skuratov uh, lost his post. Not actually completely lost but uh, at least uh, was uh, become the acting prosecutor instead of prosecutor how he was before. But there is a simple question. Why Mr. Skuratov started to tell about it only after he was dismissed? Why Mr. Skuratov started to tell about it only after the whole Russia enjoyed the wonderful porno show which was demonstrated with his participation? Uh, I'm not sure that it's just the legal issue. It's absolutely clear that that's a political issue. My understanding is that if Mr. Skuratov has something, uh, if he has at least some arguments, some documents, they must be put into the public. They must be investigated. And I know, I know quite well personally Mr. Yeltsin, I have no doubt that his decision will be the same. And I could tell you even more if you want. I know the final meeting between the Skuratov and Yeltsin. And I know that one of the Skuratov arguments when he asked Yeltsin not to dismiss him, the uh, Skuratov argument was, Mr. Yeltsin, you know, I have something about your family which is very dangerous. You should not dismiss me because I am the only one who could keep things under the control. What was the Yeltsin answer? 
I don't ask you to keep things under control. Please do everything you have to do, you have to do for making the whole investigation. It was said by Yeltsin uh, in presence of Mr. Primakov, uh, who could confirm if you will ask him. So uh, that is what really happened. Uh, that's just one example, but we could give a lot of examples of this type. Uh, the fact that, unfortunately, as I said before, uh, the Russian power ministries, including uh, with number one, the Russian uh, prosecutor uh, institution, I even don't know how to translate it into, into English, because there is no Generalne Prokuratura in the United States. There's no any of the world Generalne Prokuratura. There's the unique Stalin experience which is unfortunately we uh, include in the Russian constitution. So we have in Russia not, uh, not the executive power, legal power, and the, uh, and the legislative power, no, not three power, but four power. Prokuratura, prosecutors, number four in this list, which is designed a very strange political construction. But the problem that this institution, uh, which was burned and which was has the uh, famous history uh, starting from 30s, uh, still uh, strongly influenced by the communists. Strongly influenced by the communists. And not just by the Zugana, but even for much extreme communists, like Mr. Luhin, for example, who is the leader of the extreme left communists, and he is the chief of the parliamentary commission uh, supervising the prosecutor. So the influence of the communists in, in all these power ministries is, uh, is very strong, and that's the fact uh, that if you will try to take the list of uh, all politicians who was blamed in some kind of uh, corruption or uh, close to corruption, who was in this list? Mr. Sapchak, leader of the democratic movement. Mr. S uh, Mr. Stankiewicz, another leader of the democratic movement. Uh, it's strange that for the seven years, no even one single communist, single communist who could be blamed in such kind of things. What is the reason? I think that the answer is very simple. For a question about the uh, Mr. Stepashin activity in this field, first I could say that he is professional. He's professional and my understanding that uh, his perception here in the West, uh, which based, uh, which based mainly, mainly on his uh, uh, biography as the chief of KGB, FSB uh, and uh, his role in Chechnya war, I think that this uh, perception is very superficial. Uh, my understanding of Mr. Stepashin as uh, the representative of the new generation of the Russian politician. Uh, that is something which is extremely important in Russia. Uh, well, it's maybe important everywhere, but in Russia it's especially important because uh, Stepashin starts his political career in 1990 being elected as the, uh, the uh, deputy of the Russian Verkhovny uh, Soviet of the Russian parliament. Uh, and that was the first democratic election in Russia. He ran the democratic election and he won democratic election. Uh, it means something. It's another thinking, another mentality. Uh, that's, the, that's the politician you could speak, speak with, you could understand what he said, what he defended, what he wants to do. It's absolutely another story comparing with other uh, leaders we had. So that's why uh, my understanding that Stepashin uh, have much, much realistic chances to uh, make a real step against corruption than his uh, predecessors. Okay, 
One question, one question is, uh, uh, what is your uh, attitude towards uh, the um, policy of... Uh, Maybe better without Mike. I'm sorry. Uh, policy of Yablokov and Mr. Yavlinsky, and what are the differences between your policy, policy and Mr. Yavlinsky's policy? Well, well, that's a question you, you will get different answer if you will ask me or Mr. Yavlinsky. <laughs> uh, we have a number, number of uh, common understanding and number of uh, extremely important differences. Uh, the problem of Yavlinsky is that he is, is very good. He has nothing to be criticized with. He do nothing bad for last eight years. He made a lot of statement and all of the statement was positive. He uh, could not be responsible for some kind of the negative decision because he did not make decision at all. Uh, I, I myself could even only dream about this type of political position, which is unfortunately already a little bit too late for me. Uh, if we take it more seriously, uh, the fundamental problem with Yavlinsky is that uh, his uh, role in the political process in Russia is very uh, questionable. Uh, his definite, uh, definite uh, pluses connected with the minuses uh, very deeply. Uh, he is a democrat. He is uh, reform-oriented. Uh, he is sometimes even liberal. But if you will follow the voting in the Duma, and if you, if you will compare the voting of the Yabloka and the voting of communists, you will suddenly see that it's 90% the same. 90% the same. Look at the impeachment last Saturday. Look at the, another decision. Uh, what is Yulinsky logic? It's not because he is communist. It's, it's not the truth. He's modern and uh, not crazy guy. But uh, what is his logic? His logic is very simple. He is reflecting what uh, his electorate wants to hear from him. Definitely it's much easier to say, look at this terrible government, look at this terrible reformers. They ruin the whole country. They can't pay wages. They destroy the Russian economy. If I would be prime minister, I would make everything much better. It's very simple, but it's very acceptable. It's a wonderful position. And in this position, he could never be united with us. That is the problem. He could never be united with us, not because we have some fundamental differences in the vision of the future of Russia. No, it's not the truth. He could not be united with us, uh, not because we would not agree, but he could not be united with us because his uh, main uh, background of his political energy is the criticism against us. That is the background where he lives. If he will say, Grisha, look, it's absolutely crazy. The communists are very strong. We should be united because it's not a question of Atoly Chubais and Grisha Yavlinsky. It's something a little bit more serious than me and you. Let's do something together. Let's try to be united. Let's try to make something. What will be the answer? You know, you know I will lose 3% of votes. I cannot do it. So that's the logic. That's the logic. You could... Uh, <coughs> criticize or not criticize it, but unfortunately that's, that's the logic. And that's... 
not just the uh, type of decision he made, but that's the, that is the essence of Yulinsky. When in 1996, after the first run of the presidential election, we had an awful situation, awful situation, when the Yeltsin margin toward, toward uh, Zyuganov was 1.2% after the first run, and then Yeltsin had a heart attack, and we had to cancel each, each meeting by meeting, we had to cancel TV show, we had to cancel anything because Yeltsin could not do it. We lose daily 1% in Yeltsin ratings between the first and second round. There was a fantastic risk that Russia would be, would be given into the hand of the Ghana. I came to Evlinsky. I said, Grisha, it's something a little bit more serious than your personal destiny. It's the question of Russia. You should be now together with Yeltsin. You could dislike it, but you should at least say to your electorate, please don't support Zugana. Please, please tell it once time, clear and openly, in a way which will people understand you. Don't support communists. You, I, I don't even ask you to support Yeltsin. Please say, don't support Zuganov. It's enough. It will bring us some one and a half percent votes, which will be crucial on the second round. What was the answer of Yulinsky? Well, I don't know. Maybe I should not do, but maybe I should not. Okay. And uh, other people uh, think of it as an opportunity to actually implement more reforms, introduce more of this irreversibility that uh, you have been talking about. What, what is your view on this? And, and if you believe in, to some extent in the latter option, in which areas do you think one can really introduce irreversibility or, or uh, at least reduce um, the slight reversals have been over, over the last few years? And the third part of the question is, uh, what do you think, uh, looking back and, and looking into the future, about this type of policy, basically trying to, to um, do things with a paralyzed Duma or, or without involving the Duma in, in Russian politics? Well, I think that uh, this last year before the parliamentary and then the presidential election uh, is not the best time for the radical economic steps forward unfortunately, but that's the true. I, I would give you the, the, the open answer. That's, that's something which is my understanding. Uh, I, I, I'm not could be blamed for being not radical enough. Uh, it's okay with my radicality, but uh, at the same time, uh, I do think that the nearest year, we should not, uh, we should not, uh, we should not overused uh, the political resources of the new government in fights uh, about the economic uh, reform steps. I think that the strategy of the new government should be quite moderate. I think that they definitely should, uh, should keep macroeconomic situation stable. They should decline inflation, no doubt about it. They should make, st some, st should make some steps in the uh, taxation system, in the, uh, in the um, real sector, but I don't think that they should be radical immediately uh, after the institutional will be appointed. I think that uh, the new government should uh, try not to, uh, not to uh, invest its political resources, but to collect its political resources. 
because if this government will really be reasonable, will really be uh, modern, it means that, as I said, we uh, finally get the real presidential strategy, the real strategy for the presidential election for the year 2000. Sipashin, the person who could, who could uh, unite very wide, uh, wide scope of different people and different politicians and different political groups, which is good, which is absolutely reasonable and which is brings him the real opportunity to run for the presidential election in the Eurozone. I think that we should do it, and I do believe that this task is more important than the task to uh, liberalize the Russian electricity market, which is, which is uh, very important for me as the chairman of the energy company. But nevertheless, let's do it immediately after our success in the presidential election. And uh, as far as the, uh, uh, well, the second question you raised, uh, Yes, yes. Well, well, I think that uh, I don't think that it's reasonable to try to to forget about Duma. Uh, uh, just on the contrary, my understanding is that uh, one of the fundamental problem of ra of our policy for last eight years was that we could not rely upon Duma at all. That we always has had to find a way how to how to avoid, how to pass, how to uh, make the decision without them because it was impossible. Uh, I think that the Duma role should not be decreased but increased. I think that the next Duma should finally become not controlled by the communists and I think that there is chances to do it. I think that we shall fight and I think that uh, under the current political uh, surrounding there is a chance that the next Duma will, will be the reasonable, will not be controlled majority by the communists. It means that uh, first we achieve the positive governmental decision, second we will achieve the positive Duma decision, and third we will achieve the positive presidential decision. It's a good strategy. I can shout, thank you. Will you, give, will you give me an, another half an hour? <laughs> well, uh, if if I'll try to give you the short answer, I see that it's a lot of a lot of uh, uh, people in the audience who would like to raise the question, so I must be quite uh, quite short. Uh, uh, I think that the least of the uh, uh, mistakes and the least of the negative aspect of the privatization in Russia is very long. Uh, when I ask you about another half an hour, I just mean to, to, to name the whole list. Uh, but without having this half an hour, I could say that it's only one advantage of Russian privatization. Uh, the advantage is that it has happened. There is private property in Russia. There is private property in Russia. And there is no political forces in Russia who could be able really to get this property back. I consider as the, my personal best political success in the whole of my political career the Zuganov statement, which was made uh, before the presidential election in the beginning of 1996, when Zuganov said that uh, if we will, if we will uh, really try to nationalize all private property in Russia, the whole Russia from Kamchatka to Kaliningrad will be, will be 
uh, will be fooled by the automatic gun shootings. That's why we, we will not do it. That's the state of the Ghana. I think that that's my best political success for all my political career. Mr. Chubais, I would like to ask you a very peaceful question. <laughs> we are working on the book, The Anatomy of Russian Defense Conversion. A Russian defense conversion did not happen. It's very dangerous not only for Russia, it's very dangerous for the whole world. This book appeals to the Western countries to assist Russian defense conversion. My questions are, does Russia need Western assistance in defense conversion now? If yes, what kind of assistance? And whom? should this assistance to be directed to the state government or to the each former defense enterprise? Well, uh, when you're saying that Russian defense conversion has not happened, uh, my understanding is that uh, that is true and that is untrue simultaneously. Uh, that is true in terms of that Russian uh, former military companies uh, are not convert themselves into the real market and not find their place in this market. But it's untrue in terms that the military expenditures of the Russian budget, which was cut by Igor Gaidar in 1992 for 60% in one year, and then, then declined year by year, now on the level which is not, could be uh, judged as something dangerous. Uh, in these terms, there is a military conversion in Russia. When you're asking me, uh, should West, uh, should United States uh, uh, support Russia in the military conversion, I would be quite skeptical. I don't think that there is a, that, that is a real chance for the West to, 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 to pay for the uh, conversion of the military companies in Russia. But I think that there is something which is much more important than support. Uh, that is just the equal condition for the competition of the former Russian military company in the Western market. Uh, let me give me just one example. That's the space launches, uh, Krunichev company, the uh, sea launch uh, program and others where the uh, at least 15 biggest Russian military, former military company now find their place on the real market uh, where the Russian technology is excellent and they really could compete and where Russia and United States are the only leaders in the world. Uh, probably you know that this program is completely stopped by the American authorities. I just discussed it with, with Martin Albright with Sandy Berger yesterday and uh, I know the reasons why it was made, why it was made, but I don't think that it's a reasonable decision. So uh, what we need in Russia is not support. We just need the equal condition. I think that at least one decision I mentioned to reopen the, uh, the, uh, this launch, launch program would uh, bring to the 15 Russian companies 
real market, uh, which is for hundreds millions dollars per year, which will uh, help Russia in uh, finalizing the conversion of the military industry, of the former military industry. So I think that we don't need help, we just need the reasonable policy from the United States. Could you give us any insight into what happened in August of last year? Was devaluation inevitable? Could it have been avoided? Uh, might it have been better if a moderate devaluation had occurred earlier? And what sorts of pressures were the was the government under from commercial banks? And what were the relations like between the central bank and the government during that period? Thanks. Well, I, I'll try also. I was not member of the Russian government at that time. Uh, since March last year, uh, I was just responsible for negotiation with IMF, so I was responsible for getting money, not for, not for using money. Uh, uh, my understanding is that uh, uh, what was the government's strategy before the August decision? Uh, they tried to do everything they could for avoiding the radical devaluation and the financial crisis. Uh, there is a criticism that they should not do it, that it would be much better to have the devaluation not in August for 200%, but to devaluate in uh, March for 100% or 60%, which would probably be enough. First, I could say that if uh, in March or April, uh, th this possibility was discussed in the government. Uh, and uh, we did understood, they did understood, sorry, that if uh, they would do it in March or April, uh, they, if they really devaluate ruble for 50 or 60 percent, they will just have the half of the Russian banking system become bankrupt. 50 percent devaluation is enough for making 50 percent of Russian banking system bankrupt. You know, it's kind of the uh, it's kind of the process which is uh, when you are when you are a doctor and you are dealing with your patient and. Uh, uh, you know that probably he needs a surgery, but you're trying to do everything you could do for avoiding the surgery. You could use, try to use different kind of medicine because you do understand that the surgery could be very risky. And not just risky, it could lead to death. That was the governmental strategy and uh, my personal understanding that uh, even now when we knew the final result of the uh, devaluation, I don't think that government should do this decision in much in less extent because consequences will be almost the same. Uh, but what will be the uh, governmental argument? What government will say to the millions of the uh, citizens who lose their money in the banks? Why do we do it? We did it, we do it because we think that probably in some months it will be worse. I'm not sure you will be happy if you will lose $100,000 in the bank because of the governmental decision, that maybe if we would, knew, we, we would not do it in three months, it would be even worse. So uh, uh, that's very, that's very um, uh, a questionable issue, and I think that it will be, it will be, uh, it will be a number of research, but my initial understanding, this side. But at the same time, at the same time, what we could see after the August crisis, uh, the August crisis itself extremely, uh, extremely dramatic uh, in political sense, in economic sense, 
especially after the 1997, which was the most successful year of the Russian reform. 1997, when we finally paid all the wage arrears to the 100% of the budgetary workers in Russia. 1997, when we paid all the pension arrears for the 100% of Russian pensioners. 1997, when we finally achieved the first economic growth in Russia, very low, very slight, 0.4% increase of GDP, but that was the first plus in the Russian history. And after these positive things, this Asian crisis, this uh, fall in prices for the oil, gas, and uh, um, uh, Russian exports, and finally this August crisis. So it was extremely painful and dramatic, again, economically and politically, but what was the outcome of this crisis? How does economy uh, react to this crisis? Uh, you probably know that if you will, uh, if you will uh, compare the industry production in Russia first quarter 1999 with first quarter 1998, you will see the increase. The first, or sorry, the second increase in Russian industry production. What are the reason? The reason is devaluation. Because of devaluation, we really could enjoy the increase in export. Because of devaluation, we really can enjoy the substitute of the import. Uh, our calculations demonstrate that it's about between 15 and 17 billion dollar internal domestic demand, which was reallocated from the import goods into the domestic produced goods. It brings positive impulse to the uh, food industry, uh, to the agriculture. Uh, what should government do in this situation? They should make a lot of institutional steps support this channelizing, re-channelizing the money flow. Uh, they should fight with the criminals who are not allowing uh, for, uh, for, um, for uh, peasants from rural areas to bring their products to Moscow to the market because it's almost impossible to do because of different, uh, different criminals who stop this, who block this market. Uh, government should help to destroy these criminals because it will bring uh, double effect. Unfortunately, they didn't do it. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the fundamental reaction of the Russian economy on the devaluation was positive. Was positive. It, it's one again side that despite all the problems that the type of economy start to behave now is absolutely reasonable and pragmatic. Economy behaves much better than the government wants it to behave. Who do you um, who do you foresee uh, supporting for president uh, next year? May I ask you this question in in four hours? Given your expectations, let's let's wait a little bit. Uh, I have two questions. First one, Anatoly Borisovich, you have mentioned uh, the professionality of uh, Mr. Stipashin. Uh, knowing his background as former fireman, uh, he has a degree in history, he has JD, he has a huge list of successes in Chechnya, he was head of MVD, FSB, and we know the criminal situation in Russia. I'm not questioning his professionality, I'm not even questioning the area of his expertise. Have you any reason to believe that he is less communist than, for example, Evgeny Maximovich Primakov? And you've mentioned in your talk that communists and almost communists, they are not really good in government. So have you any reason to believe that uh, Mr. Stipashin is less communist than Primakov? And uh, second part of this question, 
uh, I understand that uh, Mr. Maslukov is much more communist than Aksenenko, but do you believe that uh, he was uh, uh, worse uh, deputy prime minister responsible for economics than Mr. Aksenenko would be? This is my first question. I have another one. <laughs> well, uh, I can't agree that if 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 one if one if one person was a fireman, he's necessarily stupid communist. Uh, I know this Stepashin biography since I know him personally uh, since St. Petersburg. I know him quite good, and I just think that the biography and uh, mentality it's not the same. It's not the same. Uh, I wouldn't come here to uh, propaganda you for supporting Stepashin as the presidential candidate. I just want to say what I think about himself. My understanding that despite he was a fireman, he's a reasonable guy. As far as the uh, Mr. Aksionenko is concerned, uh, I know the statement of Mr. Aksionenko uh, that he uh, will probably be in charge for the macroeconomy and for the negotiation with the IMF and World Bank. Uh, yesterday I met Jim Wolfinson and Stanley Fisher uh, who discussed this issue. Uh, uh, the only thing I could say that the final decision on this issue will be made not by Mr. Aksionenko but by Mr. Stepashin and Mr. Yeltsin. So let's see. I think in, in, in two days it will become clear. In various uh, interviews that you uh, gave uh, previously, you mentioned that in the American political establishment there is a uh, uh, there are two parts. Uh, the first part is the one led by uh, President Clinton, which wants to support Russia and to help Russia in its economic uh, transformations and political as well. And the other part is uh, uh, led by influential Republican congressmen. Uh, who want to weaken Russia, and uh, that's the way they think uh, to uh, it will it will satisfy or uh, correspond to American national interests. Um, now, after the uh, military intervention uh, uh, in Kosovo and uh, the NATO's operation right now, uh, there is it seems to me a growing consensus among the Russian people that there is only one political establishment left uh, left in in the United States. Uh, which is basically uh, uh, aimed at uh, uh, making Russia weaker uh, on the international arena. Um, I was wondering, with uh, these kind of uh, sentiments uh, among the Russian people, uh, what do you think, would, what the implications would be for uh, the electoral uh, chances of the liberal forces in Russia in the coming parliamentary and presidential elections? Well, uh, there, 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 there is real, uh, there are real uh, two camps or two different understanding of the Russia's role in American policy, which is existing in the United States. That's true. Uh, that's true. It's a little bit strange that uh, Republicans, or at least some, well, it's not absolutely clear. I, I would not say that Republicans is all, always for the weaker Russia, Democrats is always for the strongest Russia. But uh, uh, there are something in, in your question. Uh, I just don't think that. Um, uh, you know that uh, mm, 
Well, let's let's uh, let's take this uh, this uh, end of your question. Let's take the influence of the Serbia decision and the consequences of the decision. My understanding is, as I said about it, that the uh, Yugoslavia decision, which was not made not by Republicans but by Democrats, is the biggest mistake made by the United States since the Second World War. I think that uh, uh, they deeply underestimate the real consequences. I think that the goals which was um, suggested from the very beginning was not achieved at all. Uh, what are the goals? To, to, to stop the ethnic cleaning. You know the result, result was just opposite. What are the goals? To undermine the Milosevic activity. The only source for real Milosevic power now is American bombing. That is the basis for his strength. Milosevic, who, who just uh, 10 months ago, one year ago, was most hated politician in Yugoslavia. You remember this uh, demonstration in Serbia, tens of thousands of people day by day, week by, by week, uh, against Milosevic. Now Milosevic is the national hero. And he will be national hero till United States will bomb Serbia. So my understanding that the Serbia uh, strategy, that's no win strategy. Uh, my understanding that the uh, idea about the using ground force, uh, that is the way from the mistake to catastrophe. Because that is a situation when uh, it's clear that, that, that that's a mistake, what, what is made. Uh, it's clear not because of the uh, undermining the Russia-United States relation, but it's clear because of day by day you've got the new, the new extremely negative outcomes of the decision. Two weeks ago, that's the bus with, which was uh, with uh, 60 people. Then it, was, uh, then it was the village. Then it was the rocket which uh, came to Sofia. Then it was the Chinese embassy, which is in one second ruined relations, which was designed by decades by the American diplomacy and Chinese diplomacy. Just one second and it's just disappeared. I, I, I've been in China exactly at the time when it's happened. I saw what was happening in China, how, how they accepted. Uh, they accepted in the way Russian accepted. Uh, mistake by mistake, which is the result of the initial mistake, the strategy mistake. But to stop it means to say that somebody should be responsible. In avoiding this responsibility, there is the discussion about next step. Trying to avoid responsibility for the mistake, you're going to the catastrophe. Because my understanding that ground troops in Serbia, it's, 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 it's absolutely crazy. I could say it based on our own experience in Chechnya. Awful experience. Awful experience. Dudaev, who was the biggest uh, president, Dudaev, who was not supported by Chechen population, Dudaev, whose power was surrounded by his presidential palace uh, in Chechnya, next day after we send ground troops, become national hero. Then we try to, to well, then we try to fight. Then we take village one, village two, village three. Then again, village one, village two, village three. And again, village one, two, three. That's the war. Do you know the reason? Very simple. It's the war not with the military. It's the war not with the troops. That's the war with the people. That's the war which could not have at all victory strategy. The same will happen in Serbia in case if 
it will be with the decision to bring the ground troops to Serbia. So that's why my position in this in this case is very negative, and that's what I told to to uh, my friend the American governmental officials, and I don't even tell about the Russian domestic acceptance of these things. Mr. Zuganov could not even dream about the better gift from Mr. Clinton. Uh, as I understand, the current Russian constitution invests vast amounts of power uh, in the president. Uh, it was perhaps in a way geared towards Yeltsin's rule after the 1993 event. Uh, now, do you see any risk with retaining this focus on very strong executive, uh, perhaps if the uh, results of the 2000 elections do not turn out as positive as you expect? But I think that the presidential power in the Russian constitution is, is really strong. Uh, and uh, I think that it's better than the president is reasonable. Uh, but unfortunately, the democracy, as you know, is not the best way of ruling the country. But unfortunately, the others are much worse. So uh, it means that the next president will be elected. And it means that he will enjoy the power which is fixed in the constitution. My understanding of the uh, volume of presidential power in the Constitution that under the Russian condition it's uh, reasonable. I don't believe in uh, Russia as the parliamentary st uh, state. I don't believe that in Russia, at least in nearest 25 years, uh, the parliamentary type of democracy could really work. I think that Russia in this, in this terms much more close to the French or United States system, which is, for Russian consistent, reasonable. I will not enjoy it very much if uh, Mr. Zuganov will become president in the year 2000, but that's the reality. Okay, um, Mr. Chubais, you've answered a lot of my questions. Um, the question that I do have is, I think, a little bit easier for you as an expert on the energy sector, but I think it's also very direct. Um, and that is, what is the role of the energy sector in the political process of Russia? And in your view, what conditions would need to be satisfied for it to really help Russia out of the current turbulent situation? Well, uh, I read in, in, in Russian and even in American newspapers that I uh, dismissed Primakov and appointed Stepashin uh, and things like that, which is unfortunately not completely the true. <laughs> uh, but if we're speaking about the role of the energy sector, it's uh, usually, uh, usually uh, not as big as it's discussed. Uh, let me just mention one name you mentioned in one of the questions, I, I forget to give the answer. And that's the main of the one of the unknown Russian businessmen, Berezovsky. Uh, uh, that's the question we always uh, have deep fundamental disagreement with him. Uh, my understanding of the energy sector or the big business at all should not dictate to the president, uh, to the prime minister, who should be appointed, who should be dismissed. I don't think that the big business, uh, energy business or other sector business should 
should determine who will be uh, uh, prime minister, who will be deputy prime minister. I myself uh, went to the Kremlin only in case if they phone me and ask, please go, we want to discuss. That's okay. If they ask, I immediately go and discuss. If not, I don't go. So I don't think that my role should be to design some kind of secret influence instruments which will determine the Russia future for the next 10 years. We uh, unfortunately uh, enjoy this type of influence too much in our recent history. So that's why I do believe in the Russian democratic institution. I do believe that the president should be elected. I do believe that the president should appoint the government. Government should get support in the parliament, and that will be the political, political stable construction. Uh, as, as far as uh, energy sector concern, they should, they should produce profit from sailing of energy. Thank you very much.
The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.